This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we kick off a busy week uh, knowing that usually I say, hope you had a good weekend. But I know it was anything but for a lot of folks uh, in the Midwest dealing with some severe weather, flooding a big issue in several states. We're going to talk a lot about that this morning and get updates. And uh, certainly our thoughts and prayers to all those folks uh, dealing with those uh, very serious uh, issues and, and weather conditions and uh, we'll try to get uh, not only today, but uh, throughout this week, be talking a lot about that, getting updates and information about assistance and things like that out to you. Uh, also coming up on our program, we'll check the weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll review the two big moves last week on renewable fuels, uh, a step closer to E15 year-round sales, but a step back for the renewable fuels industry with more waivers to the RFS, so small refinery exemption waivers uh, being issued and granted and what that might mean moving forward. We'll talk with Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association, coming up a little bit later. And there are more efforts in Congress to get something done to address the ag labor situation. We'll talk with Paul Schlegel with the American Farm Bureau Federation about that a little bit later on. Very happy to welcome a new affiliate to our Adams on Agriculture family and one that I am excited about having back uh, with us, KDTH AM 1370 Dubuque, Iowa. I am so excited to be back on in Dubuque and uh, working with a great staff at KDTH, uh, Tom Parsley, Perry Mason, Michael K. I'm, I'm glad Mr. Cub, Michael K., is letting this Cardinals fan on the air there. Looking forward to Again, talking with folks in the uh, Dubuque area and that great listening audience to KDTH. Welcome aboard to AM 1370 in Dubuque, Iowa. Also want to welcome this morning the farm director at the American Ag Network based in Fargo, North Dakota. Rusty Halverson joins us to kind of give us an update on conditions uh, that he's been seeing and uh, hearing from uh, folks uh, around North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota. Rusty, welcome to Adams on Agriculture. It's been uh, quite the past few days, hasn't it? Oh, my gosh, Mike. Thanks for having me on the uh, on the segment, too. And, yeah, it has been a heck of a last couple of days, if not week, uh, for many, many folks, not only in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, as you mentioned, but beyond. And now we've got flood warnings in effect in Minnesota, South Dakota, parts of Nebraska. So, yeah, Bryce Anderson is going to have plenty to talk about later on this morning, I'm sure. I know you've been dealing in your area with uh, uh, roof collapses and things like that. Uh, where, yeah. where's, where do you stand with all that right now? Well, the latest, Mike, was actually on Friday afternoon after you and I talked uh, out at the West Fargo Fairgrounds. A, uh, a building uh, roof collapsed with uh, some over 60 vehicles inside. That was just Friday afternoon. Uh, a lot of roof collapses being seen, though, in uh, not only the Dakotas, but in Minnesota, too. In fact, the Minnesota State Fair, they had a roof of a, of a cattle barn not too long ago go down. And I don't believe any animals were uh, harmed inside, but they did have, uh, uh, you know, items inside that. And uh, the Minnesota milk uh, folks kind of track this. And as of late last week, they had officially 45 roof collapses, I believe it was. And uh, I'm, I'm sure the numbers are climbing. How much snow do you still have on the ground there in the Fargo area? Too much. Too much snow, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Way too so much. There's, 
there, there's still a lot of melting to come. I mean, this is going to be, uh, you know, we got to look down the road still. There's more of this to deal with. Yeah, yeah. I guess the uh, uh, quickest way to sum it up, in the near-term five-day forecast, we're going to get up above freezing during the day, a little bit below freezing at night, and we like to see that for a more orderly melt. Uh, that's near term, but we're looking at longer range forecasts where if we get another large event, it's certainly going to add to the uh, the difficulties that a lot of people are going to have. All right, Rusty, thanks for being on with us Absolutely, and uh, updating the situation. Take care. Okay, you bet. thank you. Thank you, sir. You bet. Bye. Rusty Halverson, he's the farm director at the American Ag Network based in Fargo, North Dakota. Well, as we, uh, of course, if you've probably been seeing this, and this, you know, for all the things I don't like about social media, one of the things I do like about social media is uh, the ability to get information quickly. And we've seen a lot of reports and updates and pictures on conditions in states like like Iowa and Nebraska. Nebraska has been very hard hit. And um, I've been talking with a farmer in eastern Nebraska, Greg Anderson. Here further north that we'd get rain. And so uh, we're saturated. It was very wet. November was wet. And it has continued where, you know, guys uh, got their crop out but weren't able to get any fertilizer on. And now that complicates it all the more because this window for applying fertilizer, let alone planting, which should happen in 30 days, uh, looks like a long, long time away. All right, Greg, thanks for the update. Take care. I know it's... uh... It's uh, hard just to get around in certain parts of your state, so be careful. We'll check back in with you maybe in a week or so and see if there, how much improvement you've had. Hopefully you'll have some improvement, but as you said, this is going to be a, a long-term situation. Thanks for the update, Greg. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Take, thanks so much. Greg Anderson, he farms in eastern Nebraska, and Nebraska, one of those states, very hard hit by uh, the flooding. We'll get an update from DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. He's based in Omaha. He knows about those uh, Nebraska conditions, and he'll give us a look at the forecast coming up and uh, what we might expect. So stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I mentioned earlier how happy we are to have KDTH AM 1370 in Dubuque, Iowa be part of our Adams on Agriculture family. And great for me to be back on there, as well as 
DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, you have some uh, fond memories of your time at KDTH. I do indeed, Mike. Uh, I was uh, on the staff at uh, KDTH in the mid-1970s, uh, not not uh, very many weeks, actually, after I graduated from college. And uh, I learned uh, a lot about the radio business uh, during the uh, almost two years that I was uh, on staff at KDTH. And uh, it's a terrific community, a great radio station, and uh, like I say, uh, uh, it was a a very uh, a very meaningful uh, spot to to uh, start finding out about uh, what it's all about in terms of uh, working uh, in a uh, very active community uh, in uh, in learning about uh, doing uh, local radio and just simply and in, in uh, kind of finding my place in in the broadcast world. So uh, I certainly have uh, a lot of. Uh, thankful uh, thoughts uh, when it comes to my time in Dubuque. Well, since then, you have uh, moved onward and uh, to many places, and now at DTN, uh, as a meteorologist, you've reported on a number of uh, weather uh, situations over the years. This one, though, that we're experiencing now in Nebraska and Iowa and several other states, how would you compare it? I mean, for this time of year and this type of situation, how would you place it, rank it historically? Well, it's it's uh, getting into uh, very rare categories in terms of the intensity that that uh, this storm had. Uh, the the term bomb cyclone is is a valid term, Mike. Uh, there there is a definition for such a storm that uh, that formed out in uh, southeastern Colorado last week. The air pressure dropped uh, more than 24 millibars in 24 hours uh, in the meteorological uh, you know, measurement on such things, and that qualifies as a bomb cyclone. The, the, the thing that uh, is, is uh, so unique is that those particular storms happen more often than not when they occur they occur over the open ocean, uh, not over land, and so that, you know, that shows uh, just how how rare it is. Uh, there was a similar uh, type event that happened uh, back in the early 1970s out in Colorado. So, I mean, we're talking about 45 years uh, mm-hmm. between uh, such uh, events. So that uh, really is uh, an indication of of the uh, extremity of what occurred but then the the impact that it had with the just tremendous amounts of moisture that moved northward out of the gulf of mexico over the uh, western part of the midwest and the central and the northern plains uh, colliding with uh, some colder air to bring just a monster snowstorm into the northern plains uh, heavy rain record rainfall in the western midwest and then rapid uh, melting of uh, snow and the the on the uh, the onset of uh, flooding and uh, ice jam uh, impact that that we saw in terms of uh, the uh, effect on transportation and and road conditions, livestock loss, uh, concern about uh, acreage po- uh, prospects because of already wet conditions. Uh, it's it's just one for the books when it's all said and done. 
yeah, the impact of this will be felt for quite some time. Now, are, are we already starting to see some improvement? I've, I've seen reports of water levels uh, coming down. What, what about the uh, conditions and the weather for this coming week? Well, it is, uh, the, the pattern is going to be drier from about Interstate 80 north, and uh, that, of course, is uh, a lot of the area that had uh, the, the onset of the real severe flooding uh, during the um, time frame between Wednesday and, and Saturday uh, during this past week. And so that is going to allow for some easing of uh, the flood conditions. Now, on the other side, uh, it is going to be quite warm farther north, in the Red River Valley in North Dakota and western Minnesota. And so we could see the flood risk, uh, you know, kind of increase in that part of the country because there's a lot of snow that needs to be melted off in the uh, eastern part of North Dakota, western Minnesota. We know that. And then farther to the south, from Interstate 80 south, we are likely to see uh, some continued flooding in the Missouri River Valley uh, in the lower Missouri uh, from from northwestern Missouri all the way uh, down uh, the remainder of the Missouri track until it uh, until it joins the Mississippi just north of St. Louis, because uh, we are going to see some additional, uh, at least light to maybe locally moderate rainfall south of Interstate 80 during this next week because of a pretty active southern branch of the jet stream, and that's going to add to the already uh, very heavy water load that uh, the the uh, Missouri system is carrying following that that uh, tremendous uh, flooding farther upstream during last week. And uh, so this is going to uh, be an issue that's going to stay with us for quite a while. Yeah, we've seen the the reports and the pictures of dams breaking and the flooding and the the chunks of ice and, uh, you know, roads being uh, impassable. And, of course, uh, uh, the cattle situation has been very serious. I mean, there's just so many uh, different layers to this. Uh, that will take some time to just, uh, uh, you know, just kind of assess where they're at before we can look ahead. You know, you and I have been talking about a late planting for some folks uh, throughout, uh, the, you know, since the first of the year. And now we talked earlier with Greg Anderson, who farms in, there in eastern Nebraska. You know, they said usually in about 30 days they'd be looking getting to the fields. That doesn't, uh, you know, 30 days won't do it this year. It's going to be a, a late spring for sure. Yeah, I do, I do think it is, and, and uh, I wrote a blog last week uh, calling uh, that uh, this big storm uh, a billion-dollar bomb because I think when it's all said and done that uh, damage is, is going to uh, top $1 billion when you look at everything that, that has happened, uh, and that is probably uh, underestimating things. It's probably understating it, but I, I think it's going to be in that category. And then another item that uh, I'm going to be following, Mike, and doing a little bit more looking into is the prospect for preventive planting this coming season. Uh, We've had uh, several years in the past, uh, back in 2010, 2011, 2013, and 2015, when there were more than 2 million acres that uh, were not able to be planted for corn because of wet conditions. And I think that uh, there's the potential that we could be revisiting that type of scenario this year just because of how wet it already was, and now we're adding to it. Yeah, a lot of farmers after last fall needed an early spring this year, and it's just not happening for them. Uh, All right, Bryce, what about the the rest of the country? What do you see this week ahead? Well, I think this week is going to be uh, quieter over the uh, northern part of uh, the Midwest, and uh, we will start to have uh, temperatures... uh, 
be a little bit more seasonal, and I think that that is going to be beneficial. I know that there has been uh, some, you know, some at least, um, you know, modest field work being done in parts of the southeastern U.S., and that's, uh, I think, going to continue uh, in the southwestern part of the plains and in the southern Midwest. I'm not so sure about that because we will see uh, some rounds of uh, rain, uh, you know, probably a quarter to maybe three-quarters of an inch, and that could slow things down a little bit. But uh, it's not going to be uh, just a real a real heavy round of rainfall. Uh, the the uh, next uh, week to ten days do look more unsettled because we're starting to get a little bit more El Nino influence here if, at the end of March, and I think that that could keep things, uh, you know, periodically uh, showing a, a more uh, showery type of pattern. And so it is going to lead to some interruptions as we think about the next week, week and a half. Yeah, all this we have now, you know, we're, now we're just getting into normal spring rain time, right? So that will add to this situation. Yes, it will. And, and that, uh, you know, that is uh, certainly an, an unwelcome feature. I'm kind of past the point of talking about beneficial soil moisture because, we are pretty well loaded up all the way from the western plains clear to the east coast uh, with soil moisture. Uh, we're, we're battling now uh, with uh, chances to try to get in and, and get some kind of work done. And then in many areas, so we are at the point now where the, where the infrastructure uh, situation is, is not being favorable either. And that's going to uh, obviously stay with us all the way through the season. A lot of these uh, road areas that got destroyed uh, in sections, uh, they're not going to get built uh, in a quick time at all. All right, real challenging uh, situation for sure. All right, Bryce, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. You're welcome, Mike. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, a look back at a busy week for renewable fuels last week, ups and downs. We'll talk about it next here on AOA. Soybean growers are going all-in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all-in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all-in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so we the first half of the program, we've talked about the flooding conditions, and we'll keep uh, updating you on those situations throughout uh, the days ahead. Joining me now is the Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association, Bob Deneen. Last week was a, an eventful week for the renewable fuels industry, um, a step forward on the e, path to E15 year-round sales, but a step back with more uh, small refinery exemptions those waivers being granted by EPA. Let's get an assessment of where we're at now from Bob. Thanks for joining us, uh, Bob. Uh, how do you view last week? Was that one step forward, one back, one forward, two back, or how would you describe it? How about uh, 40 steps forward and then 366 steps back? 
you had it exactly right. Uh, it was uh, the best of times and the worst of times last week. We were very excited on Tuesday when EPA releases a proposed rule on the RVP waiver that uh, would provide us an opportunity uh, with year-round E15 use for, uh, you know, in the short term, another 40 million gallons of ethanol was what we project in the first year. 40 million is a lot. That, that uh, you know, is a, is a small plant. Uh, but then two days later, uh, EPA then grants five additional waivers from the 2018 obligation that uh, reflects another 600 and I'm sorry, 366 million gallons of demand. So nine times more what they had given us on Tuesday, they take away on Thursday. That math doesn't work. It doesn't work for the ethanol industry. It doesn't work for farmers across this country. And frankly, it doesn't work for consumers that, you know, are not going to be able to see uh, more lower-priced, uh, higher-octane fuels in the marketplace as a consequence of EPA's unrelenting campaign uh, to undermine the RFS. Is this a case of they're trying to please both sides? Do they want to be able to say, okay, renewable fuels industry, we get, we're get we getting you E15 summer sales, and they turn to the oil industry and say, hey, we're granting you these exemptions, trying to please both sides when really uh, it's not working that way. But do you think that's their attempt here? Is that what they're trying to do? Well, the very fact that they want the two rules, uh, uh, one with respect to RVP and one with respect to RIN reforms, uh, which they announced on Tuesday, the fact that they want those to go together and to do with one another uh, suggests that that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to give something to the farmers and then something to the oil guys. But in this case, uh, you know, the, the math just doesn't work. And, uh, you know, if you're going to give nine times as much to the oil guys as you're giving to farmers, uh, that's ridiculous. Look, they, they just need to make up their minds. Do they want the U.S. fuel ethanol industry to expand and to flourish or not? You listen to the president, you would certainly think that, yeah, uh, he gets it. He wants ethanol to grow. He wants you around E15 years. Uh, but EPA uh, is bending over backwards, it seems, these days to accommodate a refining industry that is doing quite well, thank you very much, and probably doesn't need any more assistance. If EPA is truly serious, as they say they are, about getting E15 approved by this summer, why did they not separate REN reform out from that E15 proposal? Uh, it seems that that REN reform part of it makes it less likely to have the approval done by this summer. Well, that's an argument that we've been making, and we've asked EPA to separate those rules uh, because we do think that the REN reform proposals are so complicated uh, there hasn't been a great deal of discussion about them as yet, that it can't do anything but <clears throat> delay the implementation of a final rule. We do think they need to be separated. Uh, quite frankly, uh, it delayed the uh, proposal for months because EPA was trying to figure out what they should propose. And they'll get lots of comments on all of this stuff, but certainly lots of complicated comments with respect to their various in reform proposals. So, you know, they should absolutely be separated. Uh, if you're going to get the E15 rule done by June 1, uh, and so that there would be 
the opportunity to sell greater volumes of E15 this summer, EPA has got to get moving. <laughs> Uh, and it's going to be a really big lift for them to get both these rules unless they as yet uh, separate these two things. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. So, Bob, as we look at the, these waivers being granted, uh, what does that make you? how does that make you feel about uh, Andrew Wheeler's uh, uh, policy moving forward? We're learning more and more about how how they're justifying or rationalizing these things, at least in their minds. What does that, how does that make you feel about the, the future of these exemptions? Well, there certainly doesn't seem to be much difference between a Scott Pruitt administration and an Andy Wheeler administration thus far, with the one possible exception that uh, Andy does seem to be a little bit more um, transparent in, in what he's doing. I'm not sure that that necessarily helps a great deal, when at the end of the day, what he's doing is hurting farmers and consumers across the country. But, uh, you know, we're very concerned that uh, the EPA, that had dramatically expanded its waiver uh, authority and granted waivers where we really do not believe the statute would support it, uh, is continuing that, uh, that effort under the new Andy Wheeler regime. So... We're going to continue to fight it. We will fight it in the courts. We will probably see some congressional hearings. Uh, we're going to continue to make our case wherever we can, however we can, and hopefully get the, the administration itself to change things. But in the end, I don't believe that these waivers are going to uh, be supported once the courts take a look at them and see just how dramatically EPA has changed uh, the way it assesses these programs. You mentioned the administration. Am I being naive here when I think, why doesn't the president, if he's as supportive of the renewable fuels industry as he continues to say publicly that he is, why doesn't he, as the president and the boss, just say to Andy Wheeler at EPA, this is what I want done, uh, and do it? And and instead of, is it not high enough up on the list, the uh, priority list that's getting the president's attention? Or, or why do you think there's that disconnect between what the president says and what EPA is doing? Well, that is uh, right now the $6 million question, isn't it? I, and I do not have an answer for you, Mike. Uh, I'm, you know, kind of frustrated because I think uh, I see what the president says, and he is extraordinarily supportive, uh, and nobody listens. Uh, at EPA, but um, at the end of the day, it is Donald Trump's administration who is running for re-election. And, and you know, when I think back to uh, the last campaign, and I see this one already underway, and already those potential uh, uh, those candidates and even potential candidates are out there talking about ethanol. Well. We've heard people talk about it, running for office, and what we need is action, right? Well, indeed we do. And uh, I do see uh, many of the candidates, uh, Amy Klobuchar, over the weekend, uh, talking about uh, these waivers and how destructive they are for farmers and consumers across the country. And I think that that is going to be uh, something you'll hear a lot about over the, over the next several months. Look, you know, farmers are hurting. They need value-added markets like ethanol to climb out of the hole uh, that's been created by uh, flagging domestic demand and uh, international demand being harmed by some of our trade policies. 
uh, ethanol is not a panacea by any stretch, but it can certainly help. And I think the president understands that, but clearly EPA does not yet. I keep seeing questions raised about the environmental benefits of of ethanol. Uh, why is that still an issue, given all the the uh, data that we have on it now? Because there are some environmental groups that don't want to see the uh, the truth of it, that get funding from oil companies and are comfortable continuing to uh, beat up on a domestic renewable fuel source, uh, you know, because it's in their interest. At the same time, there are other environmental groups that do get it. And we hope that at the end of the day, uh, it is the clear thinking and uh, the groups that really do their homework and want to understand that uh, the ethanol industry has changed, farming practices have changed, there has not been any, uh, uh, you know, increased land use as a result of uh, the increased use of renewable fuels and that the environmental benefits in terms of reduced criteria pollutants like carbon monoxide and ozone and NOx uh, and the additional benefits in terms of reduced carbon use uh, are demonstrable and certainly much better than increased fracking or increased deep water drilling or the continued expansion of oil use in this country. Uh, so we'll get there. Just sometimes the education process takes a while. Yep. Bob, as always, good to talk with you, and uh, uh, we'll see how these uh, issues progress. Uh, like you said, last week did not turn out to be the, the as good a week as we had hoped, but uh, hopefully better times ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. Well, there are efforts once again underway in Congress to try to get something passed to address the ag labor situation. We've been talking about this for a long, long time, and seemingly every time we get close, there's another setback. Will we actually get something done this time? We'll get an update from Paul Schlegel with the American Farm Bureau Federation. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. want to make the most of your wheat crop's yield potential. BASF has a full portfolio of fungicides to help, starting with Preaxor brand fungicide. It gives you early to mid-season disease control, stress protection, and improved growth efficiency, which you need for higher yields. Now combine that with Nexacor Zemium brand fungicide for early to mid-season applications, and you've got disease control that helps deliver healthier, greener leaves longer. And more green means more photosynthesis, more grain mass, and potential yield. Now add in Caramba brand fungicide, and you're getting best-in-class head scab suppression plus control of late-season foliar diseases. That gives you a yield advantage over infected weed acres that are left untreated. The fact is with Preaxor fungicide, Nexacor fungicide, and Caramba fungicide all together in one portfolio, portfolio you're, you're covered, covered all the way through harvest. That's a winning combination. For more, ask your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
Efforts underway once again in Congress to address the ag labor situation. Here with an update is Paul Schlegel, Managing Director of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us about this latest effort. Well, we're, I hope we're on the threshold of getting something done. As you know, we we uh, try and try, and we haven't been able to succeed yet, but um, uh, legislation has been introduced by Ms. Lofgren. Um We in the agriculture community have been talking to members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, saying um, the Lofgren bill deals with the legalization, deals with our current workforce, but we need to have a good guest worker program, so we're educating members about that. We have seen in the last, I want to say, week or so ago, some other bills that have been dropped in. There was a dairy bill that went in last week. Um, there's another draft I've seen by another member that would deal with um, year-round agriculture as a whole. Uh, American Farm Bureau, our presidents were in town uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I know there were some visits on the Hill, and there was one Senate office that said they were very interested in getting engaged. So. I would say the vibe is is okay. Um, members are interested. They're talking about it. Now it's a matter of uh, getting you know to the grindstone, making sure we can have the policy decisions made the way we want, and then getting something passed. Are they actually willing to uh, zero in on a particular area, in this case, ag labor, without having an overall immigration uh, uh, policy reform pass? You always ask the tough questions, don't you? <laughs> I try. <laughs> um, no, that, that, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, and in the discussions I've had on, on a staff level, um, say from the, particularly from the Democratic side, there, there are a number of issues, uh, the DACA children, the temporary protected status question, and the general overall question of comprehensive reform. There are, there are elements, I would say, on the Democratic side that say, why not address those without going uniquely at ag. On the Republican side, you might have people that say, well, let's look at the border first and security and do those things. So you're absolutely right. There, there are different currents and there are different perspectives on it. Um, but I do think when you get down to it, members understand we have a unique set of circumstances in agriculture. They're willing to listen. And I think what we have to do is we have to make the case that, that we cannot wait and that the broader questions, as legitimate as they are, should not prevent moving forward with ag. But you're right. There's a, there's there's no question that's an element that will have to be a, a question that has to be addressed. Now, you mentioned some other bills, and I'm also wondering now with the, the weather situation, uh, if there's going to be some kind of disaster bills coming as well. Uh, so does this get lumped in with other things, or is it more standalone? How do you see it proceeding? Yeah, well, I don't think it gets gets lumped in, say, with disaster assistance, no, I, I don't foresee that. And that we're clearly trying to do what we can, too, to help our, our farmers that have been hit uh, in the last year by a, a bunch of terrible events. I don't see immigration or ag labor linked with those questions. The, 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 the question would be more, does it get tied up in um, the broader immigration issues? What is it just a guess? But I think today what, what's more likely to happen is you've seen some movement in the House side on the question of DACA and temporary protected status, and those might move first. Um, but what we've heard, not formally, but that the committee, after they deal with those 
questions. We'll then turn to agricultural labor and immigration. Um, there could be hearings, um, again, nothing, nothing set in stone, but we expect maybe in the next month or so they might have hearings about it. But now there are lots of discussions behind the scene on what would you need to have in a guest worker program, and that's where the rubber meets the road, actually. And what's the administration saying on this? Um, we, the, Jared Kushner had a listening session on uh, immigration uh, about four or five weeks or so ago, and I was fortunate enough to be in that. And uh, the indications are that the White House is starting to look at this. It's going to be in Mr. Kushner's portfolio. Um, Christy Boswell, whom you know, who has been mm-hmm. at the Department of Agriculture uh, for the last two years, uh, the rumor is that she will be going to the White House to focus on these questions. So the movement there appears to be toward trying to get something done. So that's positive as well. And we also are we're hearing that there will be a regulatory reform proposal for H-2A that will come out sometime in the next one, two, three months, something like that. So there's a lot going on at the moment. So it's on the radar screens at pretty high levels, it sounds like. I would say yes, yes. yes. All right. So, Well, we've been down this road a few times, so let's hope uh, <laughs> this time we, we can get across the finish line. Paul Schlegel's with us with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Paul, quickly, we just want to mention – uh, another issue really facing rural America is availability of, of broadband, and uh, I know that you and Farm Bureau uh, are addressing this issue, uh, continue to talk about it, and, and make people aware of it. Where, where do we stand in those on those efforts? There was recently a, a report that came out um, uh, that uh, from I believe it was from an interagency task force. I'm a little uh, hazy about that. That related to uh, infrastructure in for rural broadband. R.J. Carney on our staff who handles that I know is in the process of evaluating that report. There have been some uh, that the notion that if there is an infrastructure bill that comes through, and people have said that might be one area where the two parties can get together, that we might use that as a vehicle to help rural broadband and get more. Uh, provisions and funding and attention to it so that we are uh, trying to do what we can to make sure that stays on the radar screen for people and that we can get something done so at the moment i can't say there's a specific proposal out there but that report we hope will gen- uh, generate some interest and we hope there will be an infrastructure package that will give us another vehicle to get something done yeah we'll be watching both of those infrastructure and ag labor paul as always thank you for the update Good to talk to you. Take care. Paul Schlegel, Managing Director of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. More tomorrow on the flooding and some of these uh, uh, issues that have uh, come up with the weather the last few days. We'll keep you updated on that and more coming out of Washington, D.C. And again, welcome to KDTH AM 1370 in Dubuque. Great to have you with us. Have a great day, everyone.